Have you ever lost your way in the forest? It can be stressful finding a way out, but God can help you find the right path. You just have to tune into Him when you're lost. Hey folks, it's Karen G. from Tower Hills Communications team. Thanks for listening in to our weekly message. We hope this podcast gives you answers and helps you dig deeper in your faith. And if you like this message, please share it with a friend. This week, we're listening to part three in our sermon series called The Great Disruption. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Well, good morning again, everyone. Thanks for joining us here for worship this morning. And uh, as we do, I know I'm getting a lot of people who are wondering, when are we going to start opening up? When is that going to happen? When can we come back? Believe me, I cannot wait for that to happen. You'll be getting uh, some communication from me tomorrow uh, that's going to go out um, in our email, and you should be receiving it this week. But basically, long story short, we're just not there yet, but we can't wait. So we're working on it. We're thinking through it, and hopefully we'll have it all dialed in as soon as we possibly can. Now, listen, it would be hard for me to jump into this sermon about disruption and not talk about the obvious disruption that's happened this week in our nation. For those of us who've watched from afar, we watched the horrific death of George Floyd play out right in front of our eyes. We've seen the anger and the frustration the protests, the cry for change. And I think we as the church, what we can do is simply to lament and we cry out to God, Lord, how long? How long will it be this way without any change? How long with racism rear its ugly head in this world? But I think it's more than just lament for all of us. At least I hope it is. I think it's how long, Lord, and then what are we gonna do about it? The church needs to combat racism actively. We see the deep, deep pains that still exist in this country and the, and the things that are playing out. And we just shake our heads and we can't believe it. But we need to do more than just shake our heads. And that is why I've reached out to uh, local colleagues of mine who pastor black churches in our area. And we're gonna talk about what would it look like to do more. We, do, we have a couple of worship services every year where we all join together and do worship, but I think it's more than that. And so you're going to be hearing from me and from our congregation as we continue to figure out what does it look like to stand up for what Jesus stood up for, the breaking down of walls, the deep-rooted, critical belief that we are all one in Jesus Christ, that there is now more Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we are all one in Jesus, a new humanity in our Lord Jesus Christ to show love and respect and compassion and courage for all of our brothers and sisters, no matter the color of their skin. And so that's something that I care deeply about. I know you do too. And I think this all plays into this idea of disruption. I, I don't think God caused a virus upon us, but we, we have to, if we're paying attention, say maybe there's an opportunity here. Maybe there's an opportunity to do this whole thing differently. Maybe there's an opportunity to change as a result of this time. I mean, listen, 2020 has been a lot more than any of us ever bargained for. We can't seem to catch a break. But maybe this is a time of, of penance, a time when all the important things 
that we're reminded are so important get laid out in front of us and all the things that should be tossed away should just be tossed away. Maybe this is a time of a pruning of the life of the church where we figure out what matters most and how do we pursue that with everything we have and to get rid of all this other junk that we fill our lives with. Maybe this is just the opportunity God can use in our lives. What we really hope is that it's not just a detour, right? We hope this isn't just a temporary stoppage and then once the road's fixed again, we just go back the way that we always did. Whether it's racism, the virus, I mean, pick a thing, right? We just hope that this is a time where we change, where we're put on a new road, a new path that God sets our feet on to say, no, this is the new way I want you to go. This is the better way that I want you to travel. This is the way that I've designed for you and for your life. And I think it applies both to the church and to us as individuals. What if God could leverage this current disruption in your life? What do you think he wants to do spiritually as a result of everything that's going on physically and situationally? What is it that God's calling you to and calling you away from at the same time? I think these are the questions that every Christian should be asking. I think God has something better for us. We just have to be willing to step out and to say yes. To say yes to allow our lives to be disrupted, a holy disruption, if you will, so that God can continue to transform us. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how Jesus disrupts our plans in order to show us our purpose. We talked about how Jesus disrupts our behavior in order to show us the truth as well. And today, though, we're taking a little bit of a step back and saying, okay, if we trust in the disruption, we have to ultimately trust God. That sounds really basic, like, yeah, I know, but do we really trust God as much as we say we do? You know, what's fascinating to me is the whole reason that you trust, you know, why do kids trust parents, right? Why do they trust them? They love them. There's this bond. There's this trust that happens because of love. Even, frankly, when parents are terrible parents, I mean, when um, my wife Karen and I ran a group home for teenagers, and uh, a lot of them had very bad parental situations, but in the end, they would trust their parents no matter what, even if it meant falling back into bad behavior, falling into a bad decision. There's such a bond that happens between parent and child, and I feel like, spiritually speaking, there's a bond that happens with us and God that is so strong that it should call us forward. It's like a parent and a child. You know, uh, I love this picture of a parent coaching, uh, you know, a dad coaching his little girl across the stream. I feel like this is what God does to us all the time. But why does the little girl do it? It's because she loves and trusts her father. Do we really love and trust our father as much as we say we do? Are we willing to walk out when he says, come on, you got this. You got this. I'm right here. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. You can do this. You're strong enough. You have the balance. You have the ability. I'm right here. Come. Come over this way you've never been before. It all comes down to us trusting God's heart. You ever think about, what is it that God cares about the most? You ever think about that? What's, what's God's heart really about? 
What's fascinating is we do get an answer from Jesus on this question. He talks about it openly. In Luke 15, he talks about God's heart. He says that God's heart is to rescue the lost. He tells parables. As you know, Jesus told parables or uh, modern-day stories that that they were just made-up stories that had a point behind them. It was a way of teaching that got people to remember what he was talking about, to make really deep and sometimes very disturbing points in the context of story. It would often take people by surprise, as I'm sure his teaching in this area did too, that God went to all this trouble. God's heart is about finding the lost. They talk about, Jesus talks about the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep. And it says God's heart's to rescue the lost. But what does it mean to really be lost? What does it mean? Well, it's a state of the spirit, isn't it? What does it mean to be lost, and how does God find you? I think that's a question that really matters, and the answer matters even more. So Jesus continues his teaching on how God's got a heart to rescue the lost with this final parable, one that's probably very familiar to you. If you've gone here uh, to Tower Hill for a long time, remember we did a whole series on this, and it's the parable of the prodigal son. Or as I think it should be renamed, the parable of the awesome dad and the two idiot kids. But that's in another translation that will come later. So Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, first you have to understand this is a big deal because uh, his estate was only entitled to him after his father died. So the younger son's basically like, Dad, let's pretend you're dead and give me all my money now. I know how my dad would have responded to something like that, but not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. For all of us who are sinful, I think we've all had that pigsty experience before where You are so broken by your own immorality, by your own behavior, by your own sin, that you realize you're just, you're broken, and you'd be willing, you'd settle for anything, anything to keep you going, even if it was just pig food. I think in a way, when we read this story of the younger son, we are meant to see how we can relate to the problem of sin often makes me wonder, too, if God gave us truly everything that we wanted when we wanted it, we might not end up in a very good place. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. 
Whatever the expectation was then in the story as Jesus is telling it to the Jewish here, they're probably hearing a couple of things. The first is, yep, that kid deserved it because of his wild living. And also probably hearing, boy, the father's going to be pretty mad. I wonder what the father's going to do. He got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, if the story ended there, in a way, it would be kind of predictable, although it would continue to reveal God's heart to rescue the lost, to celebrate when a lost sinner comes back home. But Jesus didn't stop there. He continues to talk about the older son. Verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus takes an unexpected turn in this story to say, interestingly, that the elder brother, the one who lived by the rules, the one who got it right, so to speak, and didn't go off and ask for the inheritance and squander everything, that it seems the elder brother was just as lost as the younger brother. One was lost in immorality, and one was lost in morality. You might hear that and be like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean lost in morality? Isn't that doing the right thing and uh, living the right kind of life? Isn't that, isn't that what it means to, to follow God and to follow Jesus? Yes and no. There's a point at which our own morality can get in the way of our relationship with Jesus if we somehow think that our morality is what gets us in God's good graces, that our morality is what makes God love us, that, that we are somehow rewarded if we behave a certain way. Because in the end, it makes us just like the Pharisees where we think behavior is everything. We're going to police everybody else's morality because we don't think they deserve the things that we deserve for doing it right. Jesus is calling this attitude out fully to say no. Whether you find yourself as the younger son or the elder son, you have the same problem. 
Why is that? Because being lost is about the heart. Think about their heart. Neither brother cared about the father's heart. They just cared about the father's wealth. They cared about the father's stuff. They cared about what they thought they were going to get. Not about what the father really wanted. This is, in many ways, the stumbling block of the church in America. Is that I think, right, wrong, whatever, I think it's just the truth that we have a lot of elder brothers. And I know there are times when I'm definitely the elder brother. Where I'm tempted to think that somehow my behavior or my actions elicit God's rewards more, that God loves me more, that God cares about me more. When it's not about what I do, it never has been. Because in the end, the gospel is not about me. It's about what Jesus did for me. Being lost is about the heart. The gospel is grace. That's the piece that I think we forget that so many people forget the gospel is about grace. It's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus did. Right? What's the big difference between the elder brother? The elder brother is saying you have to do this in order to be saved. You have to do this in order to be right with God. And grace says no. It has been done already. The reason why we do these things now is a response of what God has done for us. We obey and we live a moral life. And does God care about morality? Absolutely he does. He wouldn't have talked about different kinds of behavior. Of course he does. But the morality is not what saves us. It's a byproduct of being saved. Is that we are so thankful for what God has done for us. We just want to live the way he wants us to live. We want to reach the lost just like he does. We want to share God's heart. And to do that, we have to live a Christ-centered life. Jesus disrupts our religion. What do I mean? Religion is not a bad thing. I'm obviously in the religion business. But it can be. It can be when, if you imagine religion is a container... Sometimes people make the mistake that the container is the thing that it's holding. What is religion meant to do? It's meant to build a system so that you can be inspired and grow and learn to live your faith in the world, which is a good thing. The problem is people often mistake the container for the thing itself, and they miss what's really most important, and that is a relationship with God. Jesus disrupts our religion in order to give us a relationship. If your religion is getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus, you need to rethink the religion. In other words, if you're going to a church, let's say, that's all about right and wrong behavior and not about relationship first, the containers become more important. If you're part of a church that, that feels like, hey, listen, if you come to church, if you attend, and if you give, and if you faithfully volunteer, that's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Nope, it's not. That's the container. 
Yes, it's good to do those things as a byproduct, but you can't do it without the relationship. Without the relationship, it doesn't work. If I don't love the Father, I'm never going to cross that stream because I don't trust him. I could do a lot of religious acts and still not be a Christian at all. You can't just come to church and sit in the pews or at home on the couch. That doesn't automatically make you a Christian. It's like if I go sit in the garage for long enough, I don't become a car. It's the relationship that does it. And if you try to live out religion without relationship, you get Pharisee. You miss it. And this is what Jesus spent most of his time trying to teach, is that you're going to miss it if it's all about your religious behavior. If your religious behavior isn't serving the relationship, you got things out of order. Jesus disrupts our religion in order to give us a relationship. Religion says, I obey, therefore God accepts me. But a relationship with Jesus says, God accepts me, therefore I obey. It is a key and critical decision. So, why does all of this matter? Because I think God wants us to disrupt our understanding of him in a good way. I think, you know, something that we've learned is, you know, taking this new road, as we're taking this new road, it's like, what does God want to teach us in this moment? And there are a lot of things that we mentioned here already and mentioned over the last couple of weeks, but what does he really want to teach us spiritually about our relationship with him, that our relationship is everything? Maybe you find yourself in a place in your life where you've been wounded by religion. It's okay. Religion was never meant to be the whole thing. It's a container that contains the most important thing, your relationship with Jesus Christ. What if some of the brokenness and pain that you've experienced can now be disrupted as you get on this new path of faith? Maybe this, even all of this in the end, in our lives, can be a great disruption. Amen. Amen.